Is God real? Are the stories in the Bible true? I need answers. Welcome to A Closer Look with the Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church. I'm Fred Jeff Smith, pastor of Shiloh, and I'm very happy that you chose to spend the next hour with us as we delve into the study of God's Word. We can't do what we don't know. Here at Shiloh, we want to spend time studying the Word so that we can rightly apply the Word to our daily living and make a difference in our community and in our world for Jesus Christ. Won't you join us now for a closer look into God's Word? I invite your attention, please, to John chapter 14. You got me, Terrence? Okay. John chapter 14, verses 21 through 27, and Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 9. I want to thank Reverend Emmanuel Smith for teaching in our absence on last week while we were uh, in Charlotte, North Carolina. And uh, as always, the reports were excellent, and I uh, appreciate him so much for that. We are now in the fourth installment of this Bible study series surrounding the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Uh, we started this a few weeks ago, uh, looking at Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 through 26, where Paul talks about, he contrasts what it is to live in the flesh and what it means to live in the Holy Spirit. And that's where you get this list of things uh, that, that, that he includes, love, joy, peace, so forth and so on. And the point that we tried to make then, and, and the point that we keep emphasizing, is that the fruit of the Spirit is not multiple, it is singular. And that that one fruit is love. And everything else that follows after that in Paul's descriptive is meant to uh, serve as a characteristic, as a descriptive of that love. It is not intended to be an exhaustive list. I've seen people try to make that list exhaustive, that, 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 if, that you have to have each and every one of these characteristics in order to have the fruit of the Spirit. I'm saying that it goes beyond that. In fact, the last time that we were together, we talked about forgiveness, and forgiveness wasn't on the list. Uh, uh, but but if, if you haven't learned how to forgive, then it's hard for you to say that you're living in the Holy Spirit, especially since you want to be forgiven uh, for, for, for the wrongs that you have done. And Jesus makes it clear that you can't claim something that you're not willing to also give. So we talked about Galatians chapter 5, and then uh, the second installment we came from uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and we talked about love and, and what agape looks like. Then last time we were together, we talked about forgiveness, which we just mentioned. Uh, I want to talk about a different characteristic, and that characteristic is peace. And I think that peace is important. Uh, uh, so I want us to look at John chapter 14, verses 21 through 27, and then Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 9. Now, when we talk about peace, as a descriptive of the fruit of the Spirit, as a descriptive of agape, it requires that we have some clarification, that, that, that we take the time to have a proper understanding of what peace is as Jesus defines it, not as we define it, because there, there is, in my opinion, a, di a difference between how Jesus defines peace for the believer and how you and I commonly use the term 
peace. I just want to have peace. What you mean is I want folk to leave me alone. and, And that's not the way that Jesus describes peace. Peace is serenity that comes from a close, intimate relationship with Christ. Peace transcends circumstances. You can be in terrible circumstances, in heart-wrenching circumstances, in conflicts, in, in disagreements, and still have peace if you recognize that the peace is rooted in your relationship with Jesus Christ. So three things we want to say about this peace as we uh, move into it, and then we'll look at the verses. Number one, it is different in its origin. The peace that Jesus talks about is different in its origin. Commonly, we think of peace as a state which is determined by external things, by outside circumstances, but peace as a fruit, as descriptive of the fruit of the Holy Spirit, must originate with God. Well, just think about what you said. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, so forth and so on. Well, if the fruit is peace, if, 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 if the descriptive of the fruit of the Spirit is peace, where does it come from? Where does the fruit come from? Come on, y'all, y'all were raised in the woods, in the country. Where does the fruit come from? What, what does an ear of corn come from? It comes from a corn stalk, does it not? Sugar cane comes from what? Where, where does sugar cane? It comes from sugar cane, which is grown what? In the ground. An apple comes from what? An apple tree, an orange. This ain't hard stuff. So if it's a fruit of something, it has to have origin somewhere. So if we say that it is the fruit of the spirit, then the origin must be the spirit. That, that ain't hard. Y'all cold? Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm just checking. That, that, that's not hard stuff. So it originates with God. And it's important that we recognize that it results from the Christ seed that is planted in us. When we embrace Jesus as our Savior and our Lord, Jesus says that a seed is planted in us. And that seed takes root and grows. And it is the indwelling, infilling manifestation of God that we call the Holy Spirit. The third person of the Trinity. So, it is different in its origin. Second, it is defined by a different standard. The world has an idealized portrait of peace as the absence of conflict. But if you've lived more than five minutes, you know that there is never such a thing as an absence of conflict. Because just when you get through with one, here comes another one. If, if you get a respite from conflict, a five-minute rest between conflicts, you have done well. But generally, there's always some kind of conflict going on 
And I so, so so by that definition, peace is a fantasy. But but Jesus doesn't define it that way. Peace, as descriptive as uh, as a descriptive of the fruit of the Holy Spirit, is a constant reassurance that God is in control. No matter what it is you're going through. And, and, and when you know that God is in control, it means you can let go of stuff. You don't have to be in charge of everything. Third thing about this piece is that it has been sanctioned by sacrificial suffering. You remember the, the Bible study just before this when we talked about suffering and, and, and what it means to suffer. We, we, we came from 2 Corinthians and, and, and we said that Paul writes 2 Corinthians as a means of, of helping the Corinthian Christians deal with their suffering. And through helping them, he also helps us recognize that there's no such thing as a gospel without suffering. Well, our peace has been sanctioned by sacrificial suffering. Now, if it's sacrificial, that means that it was done by somebody else for us. So I ain't talking about your suffering. I'm talking about suffering that was done for you. Turning your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 22. And I'm reading from the message version. There is a nice symmetry in this. Death initially came by a man and resurrection from death came by a man. Everybody dies in Adam. Everybody comes alive in Christ. Do you see that? It is through the sacrifice of Christ, his willingness to die in our place, that our peace has been sanctioned. It does not, I, 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 I try to make this point when we are in Lenten season. It does not come to us in the cross but it comes to us by way of the cross. The true symbol of the church should not, and we got crosses everywhere. You got them on you, we got them all over the building. We, 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 you know, the, the cross is the de facto symbol of the church. I'm gonna die, the cross is still gonna be the, the symbol of the church. Uh, but the true symbol of the church should not be the cross. The true symbol of the church should be an empty tomb. Because our salvation is not because Jesus died. Our salvation is because he rose again. So, 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 so our peace comes by way of the cross, but it does not stop at the cross. It comes because Jesus rose and in his resurrection, he has secured our salvation. Also, when you look at 1 Corinthians 15, 22, I want you to see that it says everybody comes alive. In Christ. Now, what that does not mean that everybody gets saved. What it means is that everybody has the possibility of being saved. 
and that if there is a possibility of being saved, we all have to come the same way. And that is Jesus Christ. So don't, don't read that to mean that everybody is saved, but everybody has the potential to be saved. And the thing I love about that is, you ain't got nothing to say about who gets saved and who doesn't. The only one you have anything to say about is you. And your salvation is contingent upon your willingness to embrace the salvation that Christ has made available to you. But it, it is universal and, and it is that which God has provided for us through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. So three things I want you to remember as we go in. Number one, the peace that is a descriptive of the fruit of the Holy Spirit is different in its origin. It is defined by a different standard and it has been sanctioned by sacrificial suffering. In that regard, I want us to look at two passages of scripture that help us to have a better understanding of this piece. The John passage is where Jesus describes it. And the Philippians passage is where Paul calls on believers to live in the peace that Jesus has described. Okay? You see where we're going? I got 45 minutes to get there. Let's go. Start with John chapter 14. The person who knows my commandments and keeps them, that's who loves me. And the person who loves me will be loved by my father, and I will love him and make myself plain to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said, Master, why is it that you are about to make yourself plain to us, but not to the world? Because a loveless world, said Jesus, is a sightless world. If anyone loves me, he will carefully keep my word and my father will love him. We'll move right into the neighborhood. Not loving me means not keeping my words. The message you are hearing isn't mine. It's the message of the father who sent me. I'm telling you these things while I'm still living with you. The friend the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send at my request, will make everything plain to you. He will remind you of all the things I have told you. I'm leaving you well and whole. That's my parting gift to you. Peace. I don't leave you the way you're used to being left, feeling abandoned, bereft. So don't be upset. Don't be distraught. All right. First thing I want you to see is how Jesus ties love and peace together. The passage focuses in on the peace that comes from God, but he starts by saying that you have to show that you love me. And showing that you love me is a simple thing to do. Just keep my commands. If you keep my commands, you are showing that you love me. And the one who loves me is going to be loved by the Father. Here's something for you to, to, to take home with you. Obedience ain't hard when you love somebody. Because when you love somebody, it's not about rules. It's about the person that you love. 
ever love somebody and the rules say you can't do something and you do it anyhow? Because, because you, you don't care about the rules, you care about the person. The rules say you can't bring your child lunch to school, but the child can't eat the lunch that's at school. So you send lunch with the child anyway, and if they take the lunch away, you come to the school and you give them lunch anyhow. I know I'm talking to somebody besides me. You know why you do that? Because in those instances, you don't care about what the rules are. You're, you're guided by your love for your child. Love will cause us to do stuff where the rules say, don't do it. Love will cause us to not do something where the rules say, you gotta do it. Jesus says, if you love me, obedience is not hard because you're not being obedient to the rules, you're being obedient to the love. And the love keeps you straight. So, so, so the first thing that, that you, you walk out of here remembering is that if you love the Lord, paying attention to what the Lord says ain't a hard thing to do. People who talk about, I'm sacrificing for the Lord, I'm burdening for the Lord, I'm, I'm laboring for the Lord, uh, you, you're telling on yourself. What you're really telling folk is, y'all done given me all these rules since I was three years old. I got to do this, I got to do that, I got, but I really don't care about doing none of that stuff. But when you love the Lord, you'll do whatever the Lord asks you to do. And you'll do it gladly. And you won't think twice about it. Because it's the Lord who asked you to do it. God speaks to your heart all the time and, and, and suggests things to you. And, 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 and you have the option when the Lord speaks to either do what the Lord said, not what folk said, not what the church said, not what the preacher said, what the Lord said. The Lord speaks to you. And when the Lord speaks to you and says do something, it ought to be the easiest thing in the world to do. But so often we find ourselves battling because the Lord is asking us to do stuff and, and, and it's stuff that we don't necessarily want to do. And so we, we're like Ananias when the Lord told him to go see Saul of Tarsus. He said, really, Lord? Is that, is that who you want me to go? He said, do you know who you're sending me to? Like the Lord ain't got good sense. Do you know who you're sending me to? Lord, are you, ask, you actually asking me to, to, to get involved in this ministry or to get involved in this person's life or to do something to help that individual or that group of people? Yes, because it's the loving thing to do. And when we are driven not by rules or regulations or laws, but driven by love, and that love is the love of Christ, then what you do is very easy. Following Jesus is simply about doing the most loving thing. In each and every situation, the question that should be asked is, what is the most loving thing? And then do it. He ties love and obedience together. The, 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 the clue to Christian behavior is not law. It is not demand. It is love.
And then the question is asked of, of Jesus by Judas, not Iscariot. Why are you going to make yourself, uh, reveal yourself to us, but not to the world? And Jesus' answer tells us something else. He says that intimacy comes from obedience because a loveless world is a sightless world. If anyone loves me, he will carefully keep my word and my father will love him. We'll move right into the neighborhood. What, what is the neighborhood that he's talking about? He's talking about you. Moving into your heart, moving into your life. If you love me, I take up residence in your life. And you have intimacy. A closeness with God. A clo you know, you have acquaintances. And then you have work friends or neighborhood friends. And then you got close friends. And if you got any sense about you, you ain't got but one or two close friends. You, you, got, you got any number of acquaintances. And, and, and then you got people who drop in every now and then and drop out. But when it comes to close, if you got any sense about you at all, you got one or two. And, and, and you're stretching when you get to two. You, 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 you got one or two people that, that you are truly, truly close to. And like, there is an intimacy there. There is a trust there. There is a vulnerability there. That, that, that you don't have with everybody else. With other folk, you keep your guard up. You have to watch what you say. You have to watch how you say it, all this other kind of stuff. But with some folk, you can just be you. Jesus says, that's what you ought to have with me. No pretense, no fake, no games. Intimacy, closeness openness, vulnerability. And it comes simply by means of our willingness to give ourselves to the Lord. And he says, when that happens, we move right into the neighborhood. We come right into your heart and we take up residence there. Not loving me means not keeping my words. And then he gives authority for what he says by saying, now what I'm saying isn't just from me. It's the message of the father who sent me. And so because the world does not know Jesus, the world does not obey Jesus. Now, you are in the world, but being in the world does not mean that you have to be of the world. And the difference between in and of has to do with the level of intimacy that you have with the Lord. It is not possible. Stop trying to think worldly folk or, or stop trying to get worldly folk to do what only spiritual folk can do. Stop trying to get worldly folk to understand what only spiritual folk can understand. Spiritual folk understand what it means when it says, if your right hand offends you, cut it off. If your right eye offends you, pluck it out. Spiritual folk understand if somebody strikes you on one cheek, turn to him the other 
also. And you're sitting there saying, well, am I spiritual or am I not? Because somebody's sitting there saying, I, I, I ain't sure I understand that either. Non-spiritual folk call that kind of behavior crazy. They, they, they say, you just laying down and letting folk walk all over. No, I'm practicing a different kind of strength. Blessed are the meek. They shall inherit the earth. I know, you gotta pray about it, go ahead. I, I saw a couple of heads go down when I said that. And that's all right, pray, pray about it. The Lord's working on you, it's only been 50 years, give it some more time, he's gonna, he, he's gonna get there with you. But, but the intimacy, the reliance on Christ, the, the, the letting go and letting him be in charge. When God is in charge, do you know you ain't got to answer every crazy thing that somebody says to you? No. No. You, you feel the need to answer because you feel like you're in charge. When you, but when you see control over to somebody else, you can say what you want to say. Doesn't mean I like it, doesn't mean that it doesn't hurt, doesn't mean that I'm not offended by it, doesn't mean that I'm not, I'm not angry about it. But Paul says you can be angry and not sin. You can be angry and not cuss folk out. You can be angry and not strike folk. You can be angry and not let your blood pressure go up. Y'all taking blood pressure pills because folk get on your nerves. You, you, you can be angry and not sin because God is in control and you trust in that relationship to hold you. All that leads into the peace factor. Verses 25 and 20 through 27. I'm telling you these things while I'm still living with you. The friend, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send at my request, will make everything plain to you. He will remind you of all the things I have told you. I'm leaving you well and whole. Please remember the word whole. Because that's a descriptive of peace. This, that's my parting gift to you, peace. You see that? I'm leaving you well and whole. That's my parting gift to you, peace. I don't leave you the way you're used to being left, feeling abandoned, bereft. So don't be upset, don't be distraught. From a theological standpoint, this is the second of Jesus's five paraclete sayings. The paraclete sayings are the five places uh, in John's gospel account, John chapters 14 through 16, where Jesus actually talks about the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. You know, most of what we get about the work of the Holy Spirit comes not from Jesus, but from Paul. Uh, Paul, Paul writes extensively about gifts of the Spirit. He writes extensively about the fruit of the Spirit. Jesus only talks about the work of the Holy Spirit uh, in any detail in John chapters 14, 15, and 16. There are five paraclete sayings that are found there. This is the second of those five sayings. And there are three things that I want you to draw from this second paraclete saying. Paraclete means one called alongside, the one being the Holy Spirit. Para means called alongside, clete means spirit. The spirit called alongside, in case you didn't know what paraclete meant, okay? In this second paraclete saying, 
There, there are three things that I want you to see here. Number one, the Holy Spirit comes at Jesus' request and as Jesus' replacement. The friend, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send at my request. Do you see that? So he comes because Jesus requests. And he comes to replace Jesus as being the presence of God with them. When I say replace Jesus, I mean he's taught, telling his disciples, I have to go. Remember how this whole thing starts. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, you believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. So, but if I go, I will come again. But what he says is, between my going and my coming back, I'm sending somebody to be with you. And the one that I'm sending is the Holy Spirit. Some passages call him the counselor. Some passages call him the comforter. Some passages call him the advocate. The messenger, the message Bible chooses to call him the friend. I like the friend. Uh, but, but any one of them is fine. The whole point is that he's referencing the Holy Spirit. He comes at Christ's request. He comes as Christ's replacement of the presence of God in the life of the believer. And he has a specific task. We'll make everything plain to you. The friend, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send at my request, will make everything plain to you. What is everything? All the stuff you presently don't understand. All the stuff that I have told you. That, 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 that you, you just let go in one ear and out the other. All that stuff. He's going to make it plain to you. All that stuff I, I told you and, and, and you looked at each other and said, what is he talking about? And, and said, I don't know, just sit here and listen until he gets tired of talking. <laughs> All of that stuff. He's going to make plain. To you. You, you've never done that? You, you, you never had a parent talk to you and, and, and they, they're trying to tell you something important and you just sitting there like, I hope he hurries up and finishes talking. I got other stuff to do. And while that's going on, you, you, you really, you're really not listening to what they're saying. But, but something happens. And stuff that you thought just passed through actually stopped. And took up residence in your brain, in your mind, in your heart. And it comes back to you. I swear, I hear when Stoney is Smith sometimes. She's been dead for 32 years. And I swear, there are things that come up. And I hear her voice. Right now. The other day, my wife tried to invoke Stoney Smith on me. I've told her enough about some of the stuff that my mom used to tell me. And my mama used to try to make me do stuff I didn't want to do. And, and, and I say, Mama, I don't want to do that. Baby, there's going to be a star in your crown. <laughs> and my wife tried to get me to do something I didn't want to do. And I said, I don't want to do that. And she said, there's going to be a star. <laughs> and I said, only Stoney can do that. You, 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 you don't get to use the star in the crown. <laughs> but I hear that. 
I hear things that my, that my father said. I hear things that my grandmother said when I didn't want to listen. It comes. And, 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 and that's what Jesus said. All the, when he says, we'll make everything plain to you, Jesus told them a whole lot of stuff. And a lot of the stuff that, that he told them, they did not understand. In fact, some of the gospel writers say they didn't understand what he was talking about. But when the spirit comes, he makes it plain. Second, the spirit will teach and remind them of everything that Jesus said. One thing to teach it is another thing to remind you. Because it suggests that it will come up at the appropriate time in the appropriate situation to embolden, equip, and prepare you for the work that Christ has called you to do. And that's important because it reminds us that the work that we do is not our work. It's his work. And the only way that we can do it and do it right is if he leads us in how to do it. Third, the work, and, and, and this, this gets us down to peace. The work of the Spirit is to impart the peace that Jesus alone can give. Now, how do you know Jesus alone is the one who can give it? Because he says, it's my parting gift that I give to you. I don't leave you the way you're used to being left, feeling abandoned, feeling bereft, feeling isolated, feeling alone. I don't leave you that way, but I leave you with something that only I can give. The King James Version, which I rarely quote, puts it this way. Peace I give to you. My peace I leave with you, not as the world gives. Give I to you. Let not your heart be troubled. Neither let it be afraid. It is an inner sense of contentment that transcends circumstances. It is the ability to cope. Cope with what? Cope with anything. When you have the peace of Christ and the peace of Christ is in charge of your life, you can cope with anything. We love to read that, 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 that passage where Paul says, nothing will separate me from the love of God. He gives this long description, nothing high, nothing low, nothing of this world, nothing not of this world, nothing that people try to do to you or try to do against you will cause separation between us and the love of God. Well, think about peace in those terms. Ain't nothing nobody can do to you that can shake that peace if you're in Jesus Christ. There's nothing they can do to get under your skin if you're in Christ, if you're in Christ, if he's in charge. Ain't nothing they can do to get under your skin. Ain't nothing they can do to, understand, folk try to figure out ways that they can push your buttons. And if you let them know which button it is that they can push, they're going to push it and push it and push it and push it. 
But when you, when, when the peace of Christ is in charge of your life, they can push all day long. And you ain't got to run from them and hide from them. You can stand right there with them. You can smile with them. You can hug them. Kiss them on the cheek. Ask them, what can I do for you? And they ain't going to know what to do. That's what Paul talks about when, when he talks about do good to, to your enemies. And it's like heaping hot coals on their head. It's not intended for you to, to get any satisfaction out of bringing that kind of harm to other people. It's intended to show that when you're in Christ, it doesn't matter what anybody else is doing. I can stand under any and all circumstances because that peace allows me to cope and that coping is wholeness. Now, if peace is wholeness, then what is the absence of peace? It simply means you ain't whole. And if you're not whole, then you're incomplete in some way. You're missing something. You, 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 you are not quite to the place of, of maturity that you need to be. So we have to work on this. We have to, 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 to make this so important that every day, every moment, we are seeking God. And we're asking him to, to, to confirm and reaffirm his peace in our lives. Because it can change in a moment. Discipline is a tough thing. But, but, but discipline requires that you do stuff not when you want to, but even when you don't want to. And, and, and let's be honest, there are times when you don't want to be so peaceful. There, there are times when, when, when you want to let the real you show. Amen. Jesus describes peace this way. Now, let's turn to Philippians. And let's see the actual exercise or, or, or a practical exercise of that piece. Turn to Philippians chapter four. And I want us to focus on beginning with verse six. But in order to get the proper context, allow me to start reading with verse one. This is why I say it's practical, because he's dealing with a matter that had arisen, a fracture that had arisen within the church at Philippi. I urge Euodia and Syntyche to iron out their differences and make up. God doesn't want his children holding grudges. And oh yes, Sirgus, since you're right there to help them work things out, do your best with them. These women worked for the message hand in hand with Clement and me and with the other veterans, worked as hard as any of us. Remember, their names are also in the book of life. OK, so that's leading up to where I want to go. Why is that important? Because Paul talks about this piece in the context of a fracture that had arisen within the church. See, it's one thing to talk about stuff in abstract, objective, philosophical terms. It's another thing to talk about it when you're dealing with hard reality. 
And the hard reality of the church at Philippi was that there were two women in the church <coughs> whose names are listed here, Euodia and Syntyche. And for whatever reason, because the scripture does not say why, they got into a conflict with each other. They had been friends. They had been co-laborers in the gospel of Jesus Christ. They had worked hard to help build and, and, and fortify the church that existed there in Philippi. But at some point, they had a difference of opinion. And the difference of opinion became so fierce, so strong, so heated, that it caused a fracture not just between the two of them, but it became a fracture within the church. You know how that happens, right? You hear about something going on between Euodia, and I, I'll keep their names, between Euodia and Sin Tiki, and y'all talking, baby, did you hear about what happened between you and Sin? Because y'all shortened their names. You, you, you and Sin got into a, a fight. Well, what was the fight about? Well, the scripture doesn't say, but, but y'all know every detail about what the fight was about. And, and, and y'all y'all tell how the fight got started. And you said this, and then sin said that, and then you said the other. And before you know it, they were cussing at each other. And, 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 and then somebody said, well, I think you was right. And somebody else, you think you was right? No. You wasn't right. Sin was right. And now, it's no longer a fight between you and sin, but you got a crowd and sin got a crowd. Somebody called you on the phone and, and, and said, you, I heard you and sin had a falling out. Baby, let me tell you what happened. Y'all don't talk about Bible study. Y'all don't talk about Sunday school. Y'all talk about what happened before Bible study and what happened after Sunday school. Amen. And the fracture grew. It grew to a place that there were actually sides in the church. And if you think it just happens about lay folk, have you read 1 Corinthians? Paul says that the Corinthian church got into a fight about preachers. Some, some, some said that I follow Paul. Some said I follow Apollos. Some said I follow Peter. I don't know how Peter's name got into it, but, but some said I follow Peter and other folks said I ain't, doing, I ain't dealing with none of y'all. I'm just going to follow Jesus. My point is fracture is a real thing. When you're dealing with human beings, sooner or later somebody's going to get mad with somebody else. Somebody's going to take issue with somebody else. And, 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 and fracture can happen as a result of that. And, and so there was a fracture that took place within the church at Philippi. Understand now, the fracture did not keep them from doing good things because the initial reason why Paul wrote the letter to the church at Philippi was not to deal with the fracture, but to thank them for remembering him with a love gift while he's in jail. Have you ever read first, uh, Philippians? Read chapter one. He starts off thanking them for remembering him. In chapter two, he talks about how, how blessed he was that you would take the time to remember me in, in my affliction. But before he ends the letter, he says, I got to deal with the, with, 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 with the fracture that has 
come about between you all. And what that says is the fact that there is fracture in the church doesn't mean that the church isn't doing everything that it should be doing. It means that it's not maximizing its potential. You can still do the right things and still be mad with each other. You ought to know that by now. Y'all been in church long enough to know that by now. But it's not a good thing to be, to be mad with each other. If you want to maximize your potential, then you need to deal with the conflict. But I say that for those who might be watching or for those who might be in here who say, I don't want to be in no church where there's no mess. And you don't want to be in nobody's church. Because they ain't a church that ain't got no mess. Somewhere. Small, medium, large, extra large. Got mess. And the mess doesn't keep you from doing what the Lord called. In spite of the mess, they sent a love gift to Paul. In spite of the mess, they showed him how much they appreciated him and his ministry. And Paul says, thank you for the love gift. But he also says, y'all need to clean up the mess. You sin, y'all need to get this thing together. Y'all need to straighten it out. And it is within that context that he says what he says, starting in verse four. I had to give you the context for it to make sense. Okay? Celebrate God all day, every day. I mean, revel in him. Make it as clear as you can to all you meet that you're on their side, working with them and not against them. Help them see that the master is about to arrive. He could show up any minute. Don't fret or worry. Instead of worrying, pray. Let petitions and praises shape your worries into prayers, letting God know your concerns. Before you know it, a sense of God's wholeness, there's that word wholeness again. King James Version, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding. Message Version, a sense of God's wholeness. Everything coming together for good will come and settle you down. It's wonderful what happens when Christ displaces worry at the center of your life. Summing it all up, friends, I'd say you'll do best by filling your minds and meditating on things true, noble, reputable, authentic, compelling, Gracious, the best, not the worst, the beautiful, not the ugly, things to praise, not things to curse. Put into practice what you learned from me, what you heard and saw and realized. Do that. And God, who makes everything work together, will work you into his most excellent harmonies. Paul speaks against anxiety of any sort. I, I, I needed you to understand what the specific anxiety is that he talks about. But, but beyond the anxiety of a church fracture, he's saying that there's no reason to worry about anything. Anything. He says, celebrate God all day, every day. 
When you have the spirit and when you are, are, are living in the fruit of the spirit, you keep your mind on Jesus all day long. There's never a time when, when, when you start thinking about other stuff. And, and, and that's a good thing because when you start thinking about other stuff, other stuff will take your mind away. He says, don't be anxious for anything. Don't fret. Don't worry. Is that not what Jesus says to us? In Matthew chapter 6 in the Sermon on the Mount, when he says you don't need to worry about what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to wear. Your father knows what you need before you ask him. So then what, what should we do then, Jesus? Seek first the kingdom and its righteousness and everything else will be added to you. The, the, the instruction is don't let other things become a distraction. If you don't hear anything else as y'all packing up, and I still got nine minutes, but y'all packing up. If you don't hear nothing else, understand this. Satan uses anything at his disposal to get you off track. But in order for him to do it, you have to be a willing participant. I firmly believe we give the devil way too much credit. We, 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 have, we have made the devil into somebody to be scared of. Movies and books and television programs present him in, in such a horrific and, and frightening light that, that we walk away scared of the devil. But if you've read the Bible, the Bible says the devil ain't nobody to be scared. He's somebody to be respected. Oh, yeah. Respect him, but don't be scared of him. How you know not to be scared? Because James says if you resist it, he'll flee. That means he's scared of you. If you resist it, if you simply say no, he will flee from you. So, so, don't pay attention to those who say you need to be scared of the devil. The devil needs to be scared of you. Jesus comes to the region of, uh, of the Gerizines and he gets out of the boat and, and, and he hears a fellow over there who's, who's filled with, as we come to find out, with a bunch of demons. And do you know what the fellow filled with the demons does? The demons run to Jesus. And the demons bow and the demons say, Jesus, son of the most high God, what have you to do with us? Jesus ain't scared of no devil. You are a disciple of Jesus. So you don't need to be scared of the devil. Flip the script. The devil needs to be scared of you. The only reason why you're scared of the devil is because you help the devil do what, what, what the devil does. Your fear is his help. Celebrate Jesus all day. You ain't got time to worry about the devil. You ain't got time to fret or to worry about anything. And he says, when you do find yourself in a state of worry, there's a quick remedy to that too. Simply pray. And prayer doesn't have to be church prayers. 
most holy and all wise, eternal God, our heavenly Father. Sometimes you ain't got time for all of that. You know, you, you know a good prayer? Lord help. Help me, Jesus. Right now, Jesus. I need you now. That's a prayer. He says, he says, if you find yourself mess, messing up with anxiety and, and with worry, and if you find that, that, that it seems to be getting the better of you, he says, stop and pray, pray. And when you pray, God's going to take care of the situation. He says, when you pray, message version says a sense of wholeness. King James Version says the peace of God, which passes understanding. I don't know how I can be at peace when there's confusion all around me. But I don't have to know. All I have to do is do. I don't know how the sun rises in the east and sets in the west. But I know that it does. And I, I base a whole lot of what I do on, on, on where the sun is, because in four minutes. The sun's going to be white. It's time to go eat. <laughs> I don't understand a whole lot, but I don't have to understand in order to trust. I trust in God. Wherever I may be. On the land or on the rolling sea. For come what may from day to day. My heavenly Father watches over me. There is a wholeness that comes because of your relationship with Jesus Christ that keeps your mind fixed on him. And if your mind is fixed on him, you ain't got time for mess. If your mind is fixed on him, you ain't got time to take sides with nobody. If your mind is fixed on him, then you can say, baby, that ain't my problem. You need to take that to the Lord in prayer. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And your life will be better. You can put them blood pressure pills down. Go to the doctor first. I <laughs> go to the doctor first. The simplest answer to that question is that I was called into the gospel ministry. Uh, unlike every denomination, uh, the Baptist denomination, Baptists believe that uh, you're called into the ministry. And I had such a call experience. It happened when I was very young. I was six years old. The Lord spoke to me, woke me up out of a sound sleep, and called me into the gospel ministry. Now, from the age of six to the age of 19, I, I never officially acknowledged the call. I, I had said it to my parents, I'd said it to my grandmother, but I didn't publicly acknowledge my call until I was 19 years old. Uh, 
and that was 1981. But I have known since I was six that this was what the Lord wanted me to do, and I'm simply responding to his call on my life. It was an experience uh, that, that I have tried to describe to people. Most people uh, would, would say I was dreaming. I, I wasn't dreaming at all. I was asleep. I can tell you exactly where I was. We lived at 2656 79th Avenue, and at the age of six, I would still sleep with my grandmother in her bed. And uh, the Lord woke me up out of a sound sleep, lifted me up out of the bed, and spoke to me and said, I'm calling you to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And uh, it was an unforgettable experience. Uh, and it has been my motivation uh, throughout my life. Uh, I'm not saying that I've been a perfect person. God knows I have not. Uh, but I have never uh, sh been shaken away from the fact that regardless of whatever weaknesses, faults, uh, I may have, I know that this was the call of my life. I'm absolutely certain that this is what I am supposed to be doing. And so I've never looked in a, in a, in a different direction. I, I didn't stumble into the ministry. I, I didn't come into the ministry after I had tried to do something else. Uh, this was what I knew that I was supposed to do my entire life. And so my entire uh, educational life, academic life, uh, uh, was geared toward this. Uh, uh, all of my experiences uh, in life, uh, I always looked at through the filter of how this can help me to be a better proclaimer of the gospel. So uh, it's not something that I worry about convincing other people of. It's just something that I've been absolutely certain of. And it, it has been that certainty that has guided me throughout my life. This is Fred Jeff Smith, pastor of Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church, inviting you to give consideration to our Early Learning Academy as you look for a place for your pre-K, kindergarten, or first grader. We would love to have the opportunity to serve your child. We have outstanding facilities and a wonderful staff of certified teachers itching to serve you. Come by and share with us as soon as you can.